0: Well, I'm glad that we have the Lord who lifts us up, aren't you? And, Joy, I was watching you sing every word as they were singing. Well, today we continue our study in 1 John, going through this letter written by the Apostle John. It was written in around 100 A.D. It is a general letter. In other words, it was not sent to a specific church, but it was to be circulated among the churches. When we began, John told us that we are to walk in light. If we are a child of God, if we say that we are Christians, then we are to walk in light. Well, that's a nice thought, but what does it actually mean, to walk in light? If you are a believer, you are to walk in light. What does that mean? Well, John says that means that you walk in confession of your sin. And he, he, John said to us, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. If, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So it is an awareness of sin in my life. I don't try to cover it up. I don't deny it. I don't lie about it. But he said instead, I confess my sin. So to walk in the light then means that I confess my sin. John also said, to walk in the light means that I love my brethren in the faith. He said, the one who loves his brother abides in the light. So as we have begun to study, John says to the believer that you are to walk in the light, and today he says that we are to walk in wisdom. Well, what does it mean to walk in wisdom? Well, as we look at the text, he will tell us that To walk in wisdom means that I do not love the world. And we'll talk about that. I do not love the world, but I abide in His will. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We'll pick up where we left off last time. Verse number 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know Him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. I believe that life is seasonal. There are seasons of life. And the only way for one to be successful with life is to embrace the season in which you are. Now then, in this passage of Scripture, John is speaking about seasons of life. He mentions three different groups. He mentions children, he mentions young men, and he mentions fathers. There are some who believe that this is a reference to the various age groups within the church. Barclay wrote, it is suggested that we are to take these words as representing three age groups in the church. Children, fathers, and young men. So there are those who come to this passage of Scripture and say that John is addressing the age groups within the church. The children, the young men, And the fathers. Now, when he speaks of children, he uses two different words. In verse number 12, he says, I am writing to you little children. Vine says that this word gives prominence to the fact of birth. So, in verse number 12, when he mentions children, he is referring to a child, he is referring to someone who is young in age. But then in verse number 13c, he says, I have written to you children. Because you know the Father. Vine says here the word is used metaphorically of believers who are deficient in spiritual understanding. So, in verse number 12, he is speaking to those who are young of age. In verse number 13, he is speaking of those who are immature in the faith. Regardless as to what their age might be, they have simply not matured in their walk with the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul warned us about that in 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be babes, but in your thinking be mature. It is expected as a child of God that you are to grow. It is expected as a child of God that you are maturing. Now, you're not ever going to get there. But one of the tests you can see is, am I closer to the Lord today than I was last year? Am I more mature today than I was last year? So, it is expected then that as a child of God that we are growing in the faith, we are maturing in the faith. So, in verse number 12, when he uses the word children... It refers to a child. In verse number 13, he is referring to someone who is spiritually immature. Then he mentions fathers in verse number 13. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. Vine says this is from a root signifying a nourisher, protector, upholder, One advanced in the knowledge of Christ. So when he's referring to fathers now, he is referring to someone who is a protector, someone who is a nourisher, someone who has matured in the faith. As a father, you are to be matured in the faith. Then in verse number 14, he mentions the young men and he says of them that they are strong. Whenever we think of a young person, we think of someone who is strong. Eric was playing my son was playing golf with a friend of his recently and he said that uh, his friend said do you play golf with your dad and eric said yes he said does he still play from the blue tees eric said yes he said my dad does too said he drives me crazy he said he just can't hit the ball very far does your dad still play from the blue tees yes he can't hit the ball very far either You see, when you're young, you can hit the ball a long way, but as you get older, you lose some of that strength. And Eric said to him, I suppose we'll understand that when we're their age. John here is speaking of those young men, and it is expected of young men that they are strong. Fathers, you are to be mature. Young men, you are to be strong there are those who see this passage of Scripture as referring to three different age groups, and there are those who understand it as referring to all Christians. Barclay went on to say, it is suggested that in every case, the words include all Christians, and that no classification is intended. So, when John then would be referring to children, Young men and fathers, he's referring to all of us. Now, how could that be? Well, there is a sense in which we are all children in that we have been forgiven by the... If we're Christians, we have been forgiven and therefore we are innocent. So, there is a sense in which all of us can be children because we have been forgiven by the Lord and thus we are innocent because He has provided our forgiveness. There is a sense in which we are all fathers because regardless as to your age, in fact, age has nothing to do with maturity. Someone can be a young person and yet mature spiritually. One of the blessings to me is when I get around, and I love to be around our young people, because some of them are so spiritually mature. I mean, they really take their walk with the Lord seriously. And they study the Word of God, and they are committed to the Lord, and they have grown spiritually. You see, regardless as to one's age, you can be a spiritual person, a mature believer. And so in that regard, we are all fathers. All of us can be young men because we have been blessed with the strength of character and commitment. If you are committed to the Lord and you have godly character, then you would be strong, thus a young man. Regardless as to your interpretation, whether it's you see these as age groups or you see it referring to everyone, John is saying regardless, we are all blessed. Look at verse 14. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Young or old, if you know Jesus Christ, then you have been forgiven of sin. Isn't it wonderful the Bible says that when we confess our sin, He forgives us our sin. And the Bible says that our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. That He puts it in the deepest sea. Folks, listen, if you know the Lord and you're right with Him, your sins are forgiven. He say, oh, you don't know what I've done. I don't even want to know. You don't know what I've done. The Lord knows, and the Bible says that when we come to Him with our sin, that He forgives us our sin. So we are blessed. Do you realize that as a child of God, that you have the wisdom of God available to you? The scripture says in James 1:5 But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You want wisdom? And you can have knowledge without having wisdom. Do you want wisdom? The Bible says, ask of God. And he gives generously, without reproach. And so we all can have the wisdom of God, and we can all have the strength of God. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you can have the strength of God. So, I think the journey of life is seasonal. I think the Christian life is seasonal as well. And we're in different seasons of the journey. As I continue to look in verses 15 and 16, he begins to talk about the temptations on the journey. And we all understand that the journey is fraught with temptation. And he says that we're not to love the world in verse number 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So he tells us here, we are not to love the world. What does it mean not to love the world? What is the world? You are not to love the world. As a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not to love the world. What is the world? Well, he isn't speaking of this physical world. He is, is not speaking of, uh, of the earth. The Bible says that he created this world. Acts seventeen twenty four. the God who made the world and all things in it. So the Bible tells us that God then created the earth, that he created this world. And when he created it, he declared that it was good. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. So God then created this beautiful world. So this is not a reference to the earth. Do not love the world. He is not saying that we are not to love this physical world. He is not saying that we are, this is not a reference to mankind. I know that some people think that, but it is not a reference to mankind. The Bible says, For God so loved the world, mankind, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, he says don't love the world. He is not speaking of this physical world. He is not speaking of mankind. Then what is he speaking of? Warren Wiersbe said, This world named here as our enemy is an invisible spiritual system opposed to God and Christ. What is the world that we are not to live or not to love? It is a system that is opposed to God, that is opposed to Christ. C.H. Dodd said, Our author means human society insofar as it is organized on wrong principles and characterized by base desires, false values, and egoism. What is the world? You are not to love the world. What is the world? It is a system that is based on egoism, false values, and base desires. Barclay wrote to John, The world was nothing other than pagan society with its false values, And it's false gods. It means the world which in fact had forsaken the God who made it. That's what he's talking about. The system that has forsaken the God who made it. I guess that is the um, concern that I have and many of you have. We are seeing society forsake the God who created the world we are seeing society reject the Word of God and the values on which our nation has been built. I read in the newspaper yesterday a study that had been done about the millennials, that particular age group. And it said of the millennials that they reject pretty much the idea of church and the fellowship and the Word of God and the values that are found in the Bible. I, I think all of this is true. We, we live in a time, ladies and gentlemen, when the values that were foundational for the building of this country are being rejected. And the God who was worshipped and exalted in the beginning days of this country is rejected. That's what he's speaking about. Love not the world, that world that rejects God. God. That system that sets aside the Word of God, the things of God, the Lord Jesus, love not the world. And yet, he says, but we are in the world. In verse number 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, John says that we are not to love the world system and then he shares with us the temptation that comes through the world system and there are three channels through which I think all temptation comes. Whatever your temptation, I think that it comes through these three channels that he mentions here. First of all, he says the lust of the flesh. These are three channels of temptation, the lust of flesh. Barclay wrote in the New Testament, The flesh is that part of our nature which, when it is without the grace of Jesus Christ, offers a bridgehead to sin. It is to live a life dominated by the senses, the lust of the flesh. It is the desires of our physical senses. That could be food. I mean, because we have a problem with obesity and so we want to eat. It can be sex. And obviously that is an issue. It can be possessions. That I want these things. All of this. This is the lust of the flesh. That I am tempted by the senses of the flesh. And then he says the lust of the eyes. C.H. Dobbs said the tendency to be captivated by outward show. So, The second way we are tempted is we are tempted by what we see. Advertising knows this. That is the reason that they are so creative in showing us certain things, because we want what we see. And Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20 said, Nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. Is that not true? Nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied we always want what we see. That is the temptation of the world. That is the temptation of Satan. So there are the desires of the flesh, the senses of the flesh, and then they are revealed or they are appealed to through the eyes, the things that we see. And then he says in the pride of life. Lord Ogilvy wrote, pride is a word that means pretense, arrogance. James 4.16 said, You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So there are three channels of temptation. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now I mentioned a while ago that maybe, and you know what I believe sin is? Basically it is a perversion of the things that God has given to us. Good things that God has given to us, but Satan perverts them. For instance, there is no sin in food. We have to have food to live. So what happens? Well, that is perverted and then it becomes sin. What about sex? Sex is good as long as it's between a man and his wife. Outside that, then it is perverted and it becomes sin. What about possessions? There's nothing wrong with having money. I hope some of you have a lot of money if you're generous. Now, if you're not generous, I don't care if you have any or not, but see, there's, there's, not, there's not anything wrong with having money. And, and I, I, think that, I think that money becomes a sin when it becomes an end within itself, as long as you understand it is a means to an end. But once it becomes an end within itself, then it becomes your idol, and that is sin. So, John is telling us here how we are tempted, the three channels of temptation. He says the lust of the flesh, our physical senses. He says the lust of the eyes, we want the things that we see, and then the pride of life. Now, let me illustrate how this works. And we can, we can go back to the, to the original sin of Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... And that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. Now, there are three channels for temptation lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, let's look at the temptation of Eve here in the garden lust of the eyes. When the woman saw, Satan showed her, I'm I'm sure that he had it all dressed up, but he showed her the forbidden fruit. When the woman saw, lust of the flesh. The tree was good for food. Satan showed her the forbidden fruit. She understood that it was good for food, the lust of the flesh, satisfy the flesh, and the pride of life. It would make one wise. Satan has always been very effective whenever he tempts us through pride, and that is also from the beginning. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 5, With the temptation of Eve, the Bible says, "For God." Now, this is this is uh, Satan speaking to Eve. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. You always appeal. See that we set aside the Word of God. We set aside God. And I am on the throne, now then I am the one who is making the decisions, therefore I have become God. And so the temptation of Satan to Eve was, oh, God knows that when you eat of this forbidden fruit, you're going to be like him. You're going to be like him. And we all want to be like God. We don't want to be like God. We want to be God. But that was the temptation of Eve. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Did you know the same thing was true with Jesus and the temptation of Jesus? He was tempted through these channels. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15, the Bible says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. I used to read that and I asked, he was tempted in all things as we are? Was he tempted to speed? I mean, how fast were those camels? Well, I am. He was tempted in all ways as we Was he tempted with drugs? He was tempted in all ways as we are and yet without sin. How could that be? How could Jesus be tempted in all ways as we are? Well, he was tempted through these three channels. And when you're tempted through those three channels, then you're tempted in all ways that you can be tempted. In Matthew chapter 4, it tells a story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And we see that he was tempted through these three channels. First of all, the lust of the flesh. In Matthew 4, 3, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now then, Jesus had been fasting at this time. He is hungry. And the temptation from Satan to Jesus was, Why don't you turn these stones into bread and satisfy the flesh? That was the temptation. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Now, that was not God's will for it, but turn these stones into bread and satisfy the flesh. There's the lust of the flesh. Pride of life. Matthew 4, 6. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give His angels charge concerning you. Now, here He took Him up on the pinnacle of the temple, and He said, Jesus, why don't you jump off? You know, the Bible says the angels are going to catch you. Boy, that would be a pretty impressive entry. You jump off here and the angels just sort of lower you down, everybody's going to be very impressed with that. That's the pride of life. Lust of the eyes, Matthew 4, 8, and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things will I give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus was tempted and always just like you because he was tempted through these three channels. You and I are tempted through these three channels. That's where temptation comes. The system of the world, temptation comes through these three channels. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, the destination of the journey, the path we choose, determines our eternal destination. Jesus said there are two paths before you. One is the broad way. That's the one most people travel. There is the broad way. And the Bible says that it leads to death and, uh, and to hell. There's a narrow way. few people on that one. There's the narrow way. It leads to life and to heaven. Alright, so let's look at what happens to these two choices. The final destination. Verse number 17. And the world is passing away and also its lust. Matthew Henry wrote, The things of the world are fading and dying apace. The lust itself and the pleasure of it Wither and decay, and what has become of the pomp and pleasure of all those who now lie moldering in the grave? We have seen that, haven't we? we? We see we have seen those nations who believe that they can build on an ungodly foundation or foundation without God, and then they pass away. And that, as I've already mentioned, is one of the fears and the concerns that I have about our own country. I look at our country when it was established in our history and our commitment. And I see a country that understood, our forefathers who understood, the need for a spiritual foundation, a relationship to God. There was that time when we were strong. But today, today it's almost illegal to mention the name of Jesus in some places. I mean, to, to, today, they say, oh, you know, you can't pray in Jesus' name. You can't read the Bible and so forth. And I see our nation becoming weaker and weaker. He says, it's passing away. Not only does that happen with nations, that also happens with people. So in verse 17, and the world is passing away and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. See, that's the promise that He makes to the one who does, the will of God abides forever. The qualities of the Christian life abide forever. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, but now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. That's the qualities of the Christian life. Faith. You see, we have faith now because we live a life faith. The Bible says it's impossible to please Him without faith. Hope. We have hope. We have hope in Jesus. We have hope for our families. We have, we have hope for our future. We have hope now. Love. Now, that's going to last into the next life. That's going to last into... Now, we're not going to have faith in heaven. We're not going to have hope in heaven. That's all fulfilled. But we'll have love in heaven. When we get to heaven, there's love. So the qualities of the Christian life will remain. And the soul of the believer, he says, will remain. So, let me conclude. We live in this world aware of its temptations. The lust of the flesh... Satan appeals to our fleshly desires, our fleshly senses, the lust of the eyes. He will put things before you that will appeal to you and the boastful pride of life. We live in this world, but we are not to be of this world. You and I live in this world, but we're not of this world. You see, it's sort of like a ship. When the ship is in the water, it's okay. But when water gets in the ship, they got problems. You and I are in this world, and that's okay. We live in a sinful, fallen world. It's okay. But when the world gets in us, then we have problems. John says that we are to walk in wisdom. We don't love this world system, but we abide in his will. And you will be successful in your life if you do. Our gracious Father in God, we come to a time of invitation and ask, Lord, that you speak to our hearts. Father, that we'll not love this world and its temptations, its system apart from God. Father, that we will love the brethren and we will abide in your will that we might glorify your name. May that be true even during this time of invitation, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir will sing a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to make a commitment. If you've never trusted Christ, I encourage you to do so today. You'll never be sorry. If you're looking for a church home, our door's open. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Stand with me, please, as we stand. They sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.